Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. Amen. Good morning. Morning. Well, uh, I all the things going on in the world. Uh, I thought I'd just kind of start off with a a few kind of truth statements for us this morning in this kind of spiritual battle in this in the midst of this kind of series that we're through. Is that God's people? We are not to be fearful. We're not to be fearful. It is our enemy that's at a disadvantage. Okay. Just a few true statements, all right? Just going to wash over us. Our place is, is a place of triumph and authority because of Jesus. All right, all right. It's not a place of defeat and impotence. Okay, the gates of hell cannot stand against or resist the advance of God's kingdom. Jesus has extended that authority to his followers, and we use his mighty and powerful weapons he gives us to reign with him. That's the whole heartbeat behind this series is that in the midst of this spiritual battle, God has called his sons and daughters not to cower in defeat, but to see the gospel as full, true reality and knowing that Jesus already has victory over this fallen world. And so we've been looking at the weapons that God has given us. We looked at the weapon of his almighty, eternal, living word of God. That when Jesus was in the desert fighting the enemy, when he started his ministry, Jesus just quotes some, just some children's verses that you would have known and learned early on in your life. It is written. It is written. Jesus uses God's word to fight the enemy, and so, must, so we must. Then we talked about discernment, how the Holy Spirit, God gives you the Holy Spirit to discern truth from error. To discern God's presence and dark forces. To discern God's spirit and your flesh that are always kind of in contest or in battle with one another. And then last week we looked at communing with God, a.k.a. prayer. Learning how that's not just a one-time compartmentalized time in your week or even morning, but that it's this walking around everyday life living faith that Jesus came to give you. And it's about you walking in intimacy with the Lord. And that no class, no sermon, no preacher can do that for you. That work is in between you and you and God. And so we've been looking at these tools that God has given us. And we're going to look at one more tool that God has given us, a weapon that displaces the power of darkness and brings in the kingdom of God. And it's this tool that we're going to talk about this morning about forgiveness. Forgiveness. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you, God, that you were the model for us of what forgiveness looks like. God, that you took sinful, rebellious, prideful humanity. And God, even in that state, you gave up your life. And Father, you... you issued forgiveness to all those that would come and give allegiance to you. And so, Father, we just pray that you would illuminate the power of forgiveness 
in our life. What unforgiveness can do. And Father, the life that you've made us for. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, forgiveness is a pillar, a foundational pillar in understanding and experiencing God. There's no forgiveness in Satan's kingdom of darkness. He's constantly at work to snare us in unforgiveness because he knows that the future of that life, captured in unforgiveness, is ruin, destruction, bondage, and even death in that person's future. And we cannot approach this this matter of unforgiveness lightly or with passivity as God's people. It's a beast that comes to devour through bitterness, resentment, and hatred. And we must attack it as God's people. Forgiveness is central to mankind's relationship with God and with one another. Forgiveness flows or goes two ways. One, we must have the humility to ask God and others for forgiveness. And we must be ones that issue or bestow forgiveness onto others. It's this, it's this flow of forgiveness. God is our standard for granting forgiveness, demonstrated for us in Christ during his earthly ministry, death and resurrection. Jesus' teaching and example clearly demonstrate the power of forgiveness. And so I want to bring before all of us this morning two stories. Two stories, one man that was ruined through unforgiveness and one that shows the powerful force of forgiveness and how that dispels darkness bringing life and glorifying God. So the first person we're going to look at this morning, uh, we don't have any scripture verses or uh, slides to necessarily point you in that direction. We're going to look at this uh, guy named Amnon in 2 Samuel 13 and 14. King David, at the height of the nation of Israel, King David, about 1,000 B.C., he had lots of sons. One of those sons, his name was Absalom. Absalom had a beautiful sister named Tamar. They had a half-brother named Ammon. Ammon was overcome with a lust for his half-sister Tamar, who was very beautiful, and he became so frustrated with lust and infatuation with her that he became ill because he couldn't satisfy his lust. And so Amnon received counsel from his friend, a cousin. It seems like a lot of these stories, it's like, man, how related are you? Anyway... Um, Amnon received counsel from his friend, his cousin, who advised him to deceive Tamar by pretending to continue to be sick and then ask for help. And then when she would come in to tend him, he could overpower her. His plan was successful, and Amnon raped Tamar. After this wicked act, it said, Amnon immediately began to hate Tamar intensely. He abandoned her by driving her out of his household. She became a subject of rejection, shame, injustice, disgrace, self-hatred, bitterness, desolation. Amnon was filled with hatred, anger, bitterness, and guilt. And so Tamar went to Absalom's house to seek refuge, David's son. King David heard about what had happened to his family, and the word says that David became greatly angered. That was it. Period. Boom. David does nothing in response to hearing this news. And in passivity, he does nothing 
to give justice to the situation. So Absalom was angered as well and became offended on behalf of Tamar. He was frustrated and furious at his father's lack of action, all culminating in Absalom's absolute hatred for this guy named Amnon. So far in our story, justice is required, but it was absent. Forgiveness was needed, but not given. Now, if forgiveness is not given, a myriad of different deadly substitute takes the place of a forgiveness vacuum. This is what happened to Absalom. Because there was no justice for this awful act and no forgiveness given, in its place it grew anger and bitterness and hatred, and a murder plot was the result. 2 Samuel 13, 23 says this. It says, Two years later, when Absalom's sheep were being sheared at Baal Hazor near Ephraim, Absalom invited all the king's sons to come to a feast. So we're now two years later, after this absolute injustice against Tamar. And here he hatches this plan. Verse 28 says, Absalom told his men, Wait until Amnon gets gets drunk, and then in my signal, kill him. Do not be afraid. I'm the one who's giving the command. Take courage and do it. And so at Absalom's signal, they murdered Amnon. And then the other sons of the king jumped on their mules and fled. It's kind of like they hopped in their rides and jetted. You know, it's like, no, there's their mules and left. Anyway, so their brother gets murdered by their other brother, Absalom. And when David heard about this violence, he assumed Absalom had killed all his sons. And so he's freaking out until it was corrected. And in verse 32, he said, But just then, Jonadab, the son of David's brother Shemiah, arrived and said, No, 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 not all your sons have been killed. It was only Amnon. Absalom has been plotting this ever since Amnon raped his sister Tamar. No, your sons are not all dead. It was only Amnon. Meanwhile, Absalom escaped. Two years of plotting. Unforgiveness stored up in his heart. And that bitterness and that anger grew. For two years later, he's just still feeding his unforgiveness. He fled Jerusalem and was gone for several years. Absalom flees because he killed Amnon. And he, for several years, finally after David had come to terms with Amnon's death, his heart yearned for Absalom again. And so at David's request, Joab, who was King David's chief of staff, made way for Absalom to return to Jerusalem. However, Absalom's forgiveness and bitterness only deepened and intensified when he returned to Jerusalem only to find out his father will not see him at all can't even come into his father's presence. The one who needed to issue that forgiveness in the first place won't even see him. It says, 14.28, Absalom lived in Jerusalem for two years without getting to see the king. Two years. Because of this withholding of justice and forgiveness by David, Absalom started hatching another plot to kill David himself. 
He would go up, get up early in the morning. He would stand by the side of the road, befriending people making their way to the king's administration to make their needs known. He listened to the needs of the people. He, he validated their concerns and told them that if he was the leader, then they would receive justice. We are told that he stole the hearts of the people in this fashion over a period of four years. Ooh, man, this guy comes up with deep-seated plans. This unforgiveness is deep-rooted. Four years he spends garnering favor away from David towards him. So David receives word that in Israel the men's hearts were with Absalom. He had won them over. And so David fled the capital city, fearing Absalom's attack, because Absalom was set on taking the king's life, and David knew it. One can imagine the strongholds that are only building up upon each other between these two, father, son, rebellion, fear, betrayal, deception. Finally, David sends men to pursue Absalom, who fled on a mule after a huge loss in battle. He says that as he was on his mule, he flees away, and as he's trying to get through this brush, his hair gets caught up, and he gets hung up kind of by his hair and kind of gets stuck. His mule goes off, and he's kind of just there prostrate, waiting to be killed, and there he was. He was killed. David was overcome with grief and sorrow, and the kingdom was shaken. David's family was shattered by deception, violation, murder, anger, bitterness. Unforgiveness is the currency of Satan's kingdom. Unforgiveness is the currency of Satan's kingdom. It makes prisoners and victims out of everyone affected by it. And it unleashes all the ugliness of hell in us, in other people, when we, when we keep unforgiveness in our heart. And it was in this that because of what Absalom did, because of what David did, it, re- it, it almost, because of this unforgiveness, it almost conquered a kingdom. It almost crushed this kingdom of Israel. So now, let's pivot to a different story, okay? Different story. One that you're maybe a little more familiar with. In Genesis 37, we come upon a man named Jacob. Jacob had a son by his beloved Rachel named Joseph. He was the youngest of 11 brothers, but he was also Jacob's favorite son, born to him in his old age by his favorite wife, Rachel. And unfortunately for Joseph, his father didn't conceal his favoritism towards the youngest son. If you knew anything about kind of the ancient patriarchal families, I mean, the oldest son had the greatest honor. The youngest probably had the least And so Jacob made Joseph this beautiful coat of honor, one usually given to the firstborn son. And so because of that fact, it stirred up a bunch of jealousy and envy in his brothers. Genesis 34, 7, it says, But his brothers hated Joseph because of their father's partiality. They couldn't say a word, a kind word to him. Mm. Ever have those kind of relationships? Man, there's just something so off. That when they get in the room, it's just like, hmm, just, I'm not going to say a word. Joseph began having these dreams from God, the message of which showed Joseph's brothers bowing down to him. 
And he, in his ignorance and his youthfulness, of course, shares those glorious dreams with all his older brothers. How do you think they took that? Not so good. Not so good. Their hearts were filled with jealousy, hatred, anger, and unforgiveness, not only against Joseph, but against their father, Jacob. And so they hatch a plan. One day, as they're out uh, in the fields, they throw Joseph in a pit. They take his coat. They uh, slaughter an animal and put blood all over his coat and come back to his father saying that he's been, he's been killed by a wild animal. Meanwhile, as he was in this pit, they sold him in. They, these, uh, these enslavers were passing by, and he, he sells their little brother into slavery. And he's on his way to Egypt. Now imagine if you were Joseph. Yes, in your zeal, shared that, but yet also your brothers sold you for 20 pieces of silver into slavery. He was taken to Egypt and bought off the slave block by a man named Potiphar, a rich man, as a house slave. He gained favor and he was raised to the head slave of all over his household. Until Potiphar's wife accused him of rape, even though he persistently resisted her advances, she accuses him of rape, and he gets thrown into prison. While in prison, Joseph is there, and Joseph allowed God to work in his life. He received revelation about God and about how he worked and about himself. Genesis 39, it says, verse 21, it says, But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite among the prison warden. Long before the warden would put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in that prison. Wow, the favor. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. What a sentence. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. The Lord hadn't abandoned Joseph. He was there the entire time. So why did God let all these injustices happen to Joseph? God had a plan to build a man and save a nation. Where Absalom and his unforgiveness almost ruined a nation, Joseph allowed the circumstances to transform him and fill him with the character of God. And so the injustices hurled against Joseph were real, and they pierced his heart. But through it, he learned powerful, powerful freedom found in forgiveness. God lifts Joseph out of prison, and he gets to interpret one of Pharaoh's dreams, which prophesied a coming famine. Joseph again gains favor and is promoted as the second most powerful man in the kingdom of Egypt. Wow. Joseph faithfully stewards this vision that God gives him about this famine. And famine hits. And Joseph's family is forced to come to Egypt for food and to survive the famine. The brothers do end up bowing down to Joseph, who is much older at this time, and they didn't recognize their own brother. So as they're bowing down to him, after all those years, after all those injustices, by your own family. What does Joseph do in that moment? Does he respond to them? Does he un unleash his years of anger and bitterness and retribution 
now that they're in a vulnerable place? Did he take his rightful vengeance? No. He showers them with love. Joseph learned the depths of God's heart through trial and suffering. And as a result, he was able to grant total forgiveness to those who had committed injustices against him. The result was freedom for him and life for others. And the blunt truth is this. Unforgiveness brings death and ruin. Forgiveness brings life and freedom. Simple. We cannot, as God's people especially, remain prisoners to unforgiveness. This is a powerful weapon the enemy uses against mankind. And as we've seen, it produces fruits like bitterness, anger, rage, jealousy, envy, among others. Unforgiveness lays the foundation for destructive patterns like self-protection, self-preservation. And when those mechanisms are at play, those are deep-seated, deep-rooted, hard to untangle. So I thought we could do a little heart check for us here on this. Here to, how do we know we have some unforgiveness in our heart? Well, here's a little list. Just to see. Man, if you're, if you're like, uh, that's me, then probably there's some unforgiveness there. Number one, I find myself holding grudges. I can't get over the past. I'm looking for ammunition. So we'll relate. But as we relate, I'm kind of storing up a little ammunition so that I could maybe use later, later on. What's motivating that? Unforgiveness. How about this? I retreat into isolation from others. I erupt in anger or I boil inside. I bury the wrongs done to me without really addressing them. Instead of stating the truth, I make excuses for those who have offended me or willfully wronged me. Ooh. Or just flatly, I don't trust others. These are the manifested fruits of unforgiveness in the roots. Forgiveness is needed when there's been a violation one way or another. There's a debt to pay before reconciliation and restoration can take place. And in order to forgive, one must determine that they will forgive the debt. thereby releasing the offender or the offending situation from their obligation to us. We will not expect the offender or the offending situation to settle the debt. And that's a lot of times the, the position you're kind of stuck in unforgiveness is you're waiting for the other party to settle the debt. And so you're sitting here in unforgiveness and not realizing that that unforgiveness slowly turns up in your life. It doesn't just, it's not a stationary feeling. It's a feeling that grows and begins to take over other areas of our soul and our heart and our mind. And it begins to start shading, not just our unforgiveness towards that person, but now it starts shading all of humanity. <laughs> They're all that way. They all do this. They all do that. Bad place. But this is exactly, we are willing to pay the debt. That's what forgiveness is, is. We're willing to ground that injustice right in the ground and settle it. This is exactly what Jesus did when he released us 
from having to pay the debt of our sins, our rebellion, our pride that we committed against Him. And so the burden of the offense, it's like a load, this offense, this, this wound, this injustice that may have happened in your life. It's like, you're, it's like the load of it is like a, in a wheelbarrow and you're carrying around this load. But you're almost, you're, you, the, the handles, it's almost as if it's tied to you. That no matter where you go, you're carrying around this load. And all with just the power of Christ's forgiveness over that situation as if you're kind of taking a sword and cutting that connection off with whatever that was. Severing that cord, dropping the load of debt and leaving it behind. And we entrust ourselves and the offending person or situation to God. God, you're the just judge. And I know that you are a good father. And I pray that you would make this right. But it's a choice. It's not a feeling. It doesn't condone the wrong or hurtful action. It comes from a place of humility, knowing that we have hurt others ourselves. You have hurt others. Bad. But a lot of times we're so acutely aware of how others hurt us, we're blind to the fact how we've hurt others. And so the offense is all on them. Let the Lord give us proper lenses. Amen? But a lot of times, well, no, I won't go there. Unscripted, probably will make a mistake in my statement. Anyway, we release the offender and the offense to God, who alone is the ultimate judge for us, and we walk free. You walk free. Colossians 3 says this, Make allowance for each other's faults, and forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. That's a command from the Lord must forgive others, just as the Lord forgave you. And if you, we looked at the Lord's Prayer last week, and at the end of the Lord's Prayer, He said, you must forgive others. If you don't forgive others, I haven't forgiven you. It's as if you haven't really captured what forgiveness is, if you're still holding unforgiveness towards others. Imagine the freedom in your life. If you have unforgiveness in your heart, imagine the freedom that it would bring the weight that it would throw off your whole future. It's a powerful weapon to use. And forgiveness, true forgiveness, deep forgiveness, honestly can only come from the Lord. He's our model. We can only learn it from Him. But it's what this world needs. You haven't heard about forgiveness. You've heard about canceling. There's no... There's no value system for forgiveness. It's, a, it's as if in our forgetfulness of God, we've also forgot about forgiveness. But it's now time to restore forgiveness to our relationships, to our family, to our environment, to our places of work, that we wouldn't let unforgiveness begin to bring in darkness into a place, that we would be discerning to say, oh, there's unforgiveness there. I've got to take care of it. And i got to take the plank out of my own eye before I take the splinter out of another. Amen? Amen. So I thought we could end with a little declaration together. Um, I'll have you read it, just because, you know, we, we want you exerting some faith when we kind of clear this. But I'll just read it, and then we'll stand and we'll read it together. I will forgive others. Just like God has forgiven me, I'll choose to confront issues. 
offer forgiveness, and leave the rest to God. I'll grow more and more in understanding that the hurts of my past never escape the eyes of the Lord. I will not let Satan keep me in bondage of unforgiveness. I will forgive others regardless of their response to me. I know that forgiveness brings release and freedom from my past and present hurts. I will allow others to see God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness at work in me. Amen? Amen. Come on, let's stand. Before we declare this, because I'll just end kind of a little prayer, but if there's any, you know, we're, I'm touching on maybe a big knot in your life. And if this is something that has maybe taken control over you or where the direction of your life has kind of been jilted because of something deep in here, I encourage you to talk to someone about it. Like, we're not able to untie the whole knot here this morning, so we're kind of uncovering something. But if you're walking out of here and it's like, oh, it's still in there, talk to someone. Whoever's in your life group or a leader here or a good friend that you trust, like, man, help me walk through this because I don't want to have this unforgiveness. Amen? Amen. All right, so let's read this together. I will forgive others just like God has forgiven me. I will choose to confront issues, offer forgiveness, and leave the rest to God. I will grow more and more in understanding that the hurts of my past have never escaped the eyes of the Lord. I will not let Satan keep me in the bondage of unforgiveness. I will forgive others regardless of their response to me. I know that forgiveness brings release and freedom from my past and present hurts. I will allow others to see God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness at work in me. Lord God, I just thank you, Father, for the already forgiven work that you've done in our hearts. Father, may we be carriers of your forgiveness. Lord, may we be ones that are free of unforgiveness. Father, we thank you for this powerful weapon that you've given us, and thank you for your forgiveness over our sin, our rebellion, because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord God, we thank you. Let us be your people. Lord, send us out in the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great Sunday, y'all. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org, and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.